Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the FFS show, a podcast about misinformation and fact checking by the ferret. I am one of your hosts, Ali Bryan, and joining me for the final time, possibly, is my esteemed co-host, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is just cracking there a little bit, uh, <laughs> Sam Gonzalez. How are oh, you, Sam? The tears running down Ali's face right now. Yeah. It's, uh, listener, you wouldn't believe Tragic. it. Uh, that's right, Ali. This is my last episode of the podcast. Uh, I am moving on to new pastures from the ferret. Um, of course, I will be back when you have some kind of topics that I'm an expert on, like uh, Julia Roberts movies, yeah, laying down on the couch. Like whenever you're yeah. doing a podcast about one of those themes, I can come yeah. back. Well, we'll try. We'll have to get you back in uh, as a sort of uh, contributing, like Sorry. comedy guest. Yeah. <laughs> You know, for an unusual take on the news. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring you back at Christmas or something. It's like, hey, remember this guy? I'll love that. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. No, that's it. I, I am. Uh, I I am continuing to work with the fair in, in some small freelance ways, but uh, I'm moving to a couple of new bits of work uh, still here in Glasgow. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to be too far, but unfortunately, I will be stepping away from the podcast, which You're I love to our do. Listeners. I'm leaving the listeners, mm. but listeners, you'll never leave me, and you're in my heart <laughs> forever. <laughs> so despite the fact that Sam is uh, heading off to uh, Pastures New, um, the podcast goes on, <laughs> and uh, f- for your last appearance and your last um, aff- official appearance as a That's co-host right. as, of the podcast, we've got a really great interview. We've been speaking to Eve Livingston, who is a freelance journalist and recently uh, wrote a book on unions called Make Bosses Pay, which is all about how unions work in the 21st century and how they can adapt to like differing work uh, situations like precarious work and climate change. And because of the recent uh, rail strikes, we thought it was a great time to talk about uh, how unions and that conversation relates to misinformation. Didn't we, Sam? Yes, we did. And it's it's a great conversation. It's a great little book as well. Like it's, it's a short read and it's uh, worth your time. Yeah. And it was a really, really interesting chat. And we'll be back after the interview. And I understand Sam has some sort of horrendous surprise for me. I have a very fair, very fun surprise for that everyone's going to love. Great. (laughs) Sounds like this podcast. Okay, let's get into it. Do you see any misinformation when it comes to the conversation about unions and union membership? Like what kind of misinformation is out there in this arena? One of the main things is about kind of who union members are. Um, So we Mm. saw a lot of kind of with the rail strikes that have just happened, um, we saw a lot of sort of pitching workers against um, quote unquote the public um, as if they're two separate groups. So there was this idea that, you know, these selfish workers are sort of disrupting the public going about their day-to-day lives. Um, and, you know, the point I would make to that is that workers are the public. The vast majority of the, the British public have to work to survive. Many of them are also in unions themselves. Um, you know, not all of them are, but um, certainly almost all of them are workers. So there is no kind of divide in that way. There's no sort of black and white divide between the public and, and workers. So I suppose that's one of them. I think one of the other kind of big bits of misinformation is about um, how unions operate and this idea that 
um, sometimes workers who are going on strike are sort of puppets um, for these sort of all-powerful union baron type figures. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't problems with union democracy, which there certainly are. Um, but, you know, the, the idea that workers and, and trade unionists can't sort of think for themselves and aren't acting in their own interests um, is also a really widespread yeah. um, bit of misinformation. Going from that position in like the 70s and 80s where unions in the UK did seem to have a lot of power to make quite significant impacts on a sort of wide scale to um, watering down of rights and a sort of slightly ebbing away of rights across like successive governments. I wonder if you could like explain a little bit the situation we're in now compared to where we were then? Something that's really important to point out is that, um, as we kind of referred to earlier, people quite often sort of talk about Margaret Thatcher as being like the prime minister that destroyed the unions. And certainly mm. she did have a, a kind of very strong um, agenda of, of uh, kind of taking away union power. So she she did kind of kickstart a lot of that off. But I think it's really important to note that no government since has ever rolled back any of the things that she put in place. Um, and certainly no government has really sought to introduce any new powers for trade unions. Um, the, any kind of legislation that's been introduced since then has sought to um, take away their power rather than to protect trade unionists or, or give them any more kind of um, ability to campaign. So I think the, the kind of right to strike is a really useful way to think about this. Obviously, that's not the only thing that unions do and it's not the only type of mm. legislation that exists around unions, but... Um, we can see that the, the kind of right to strike has been systematically chipped away at over the years. So various bits of legislation have meant that you now have to have only a certain number of people on a picket line. You have to have a named supervisor supervising each picket line. Um, you can only strike about a very sort of limited range of issues, um, you know, kind of directly related to your workplace. Um, you can't have secondary pickets, so you can't have people... Um, picketing kind of in support um you know all of these things together they kind of individually might each seem like oh that's just a sort of administrative thing or it's quite a small mm -hmm. kind of change but all those things together sort of chip away at the the very core of what unions are there to do um, mm -hmm. so I think that's a really kind of useful thing to look at the, the legislation around picketing and then even just recently we've seen um you know in the last month or so we've seen um government plans to bring in agency workers to replace striking workers and again people might yeah. look at that and think well that's fine you know it keeps society ticking along um but really that's a, an attack on the core principle of trade unionism which is you know mm -hmm. the, the whole power that unions have is that if you withdraw your labor things can't function without you so as soon as you start putting things in place to mm -hmm. mitigate that unions don't the, their power is gone it's completely eroded at that point so all of those things, I think, might look individually maybe sensible even to people. But actually, when you start looking at the kind of whole cumulative effect of them, they're really damaging and they completely remove kind of all the power that, that unions are set up to be able to um, exercise. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think there's also a kind of a, almost like cultural shift in not necessarily the workers themselves, but at least a large part of the population thinking about activism and thinking about protests in a more individualistic kind of model, you know, so uh, I don't know, I think, and this is just kind of anecdotal, but, you know, people might think of like the way to change the world is to post a certain thing on social media, to have a certain personal brand of like my activism. Is there a shift that you can see there as well of the towards individualistic like theory of change as opposed to a 
collective show of power with people in similar positions? Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting question. And actually, in the, the book, I um, tried to kind of come up with the, with a term for something that I saw happening. So I came up with this term of um, corporate creep, and I used it to describe the way that actually even our employers and workplaces are sort of leaning into exactly what you describe. So right. I think we're in a situation mm-hmm. now where even kind of corporations and things see that they have to be looking a bit you know, woke or whatever you want to call it. Um, And so we see things like um, an increase in sort of employee voice forums or um, an increase in, you know, free breakfast and yoga classes at work and all of this stuff. And it's it's designed to make you feel like your employer is looking out for you. But actually what what that does a lot of the time is sort of um, erode your ability to actually act collectively because your boss can turn around and say, but I'm doing all this great stuff for you and you have an employee voice for him. So why should we recognize the union? So we see that even in workplaces, I think, and in corporations, but we certainly see it kind of more widely as you're describing as well. So I think one of the kind of things that always strikes me is about young women, kind of, I guess, millennial women, my sort of age, um, you know, there are endless newspaper articles about kind of equal pay so what do you do if you're not being paid the same as a male colleague or what do you do if you're sexually harassed at work you know in the aftermath of the me too movement we saw a lot of that and the the answers that are posited in those articles are always individual they're always you know take a deep breath and then go in and have a negotiation with your boss they never say join a union in those articles they direct you towards sort of self-help books written by other millennial women about doing yoga breaths before you have a negotiation with your boss so um so i think that's a really dangerous situation to be in i think we need to see people kind of putting um we need to see unions taking up that space, I guess, people proposing collective solutions rather than individualistic ones, because the problems certainly exist. People are experiencing them and trying to look for answers. But when they look for answers, it's not always unions that are the first ones that are available to them. Do you think that some of the big unions, are they remote from their workers? You hear criticism of, for example, the pay of the general secretaries and bosses being like, into the hundreds of thousands of pounds massive payoffs like these are things that are you know documented people at the top of unions are earning a lot of money and they are in positions of significant political influence is that a problem I think it varies so the first thing I would say is I quite often get asked this this question about whether kind of new younger unions like the IWGB who we've mentioned Mm. um are kind of like better and more effective than the sort of institutionalized unions like Unison and and GMB. Um, And actually, I always come back to one of the interviews I did for my book, someone kind of was talking about that issue, and they described it as sort of speedboats versus like super tankers, I think is the phrase I don't know right. about both um, and they were saying you know they, they each have their own strengths right so you know one is kind of powerful and huge and has mm. kind of the ability to it, it goes slowly but it can go further um, and the other is kind of fast and speedy it can, can respond to things and I think that's a really good analogy in that we actually need both of those types of unions they, they each are performing mm. a function that the other one can um, and you know there's a lot of kind of institutional memory and knowledge and um, sort of just strength, you know, legal power and things in those kind of bigger, well-established unions. Right, yeah. um, but I do think that there is, um, there are issues with democracy within them um, and mm. with the, the way that they're kind of structured. Um, I think in a, in a lot of examples, they have kind of become quite remote in cases from their workers. And, um, you know, I remember when there was the Unite um, General Secretary election recently and all the coverage was of, 
um, this one particular candidate, how he was kind of a shoe in to win the election. And actually people yeah. on the ground were saying, well, hang on, no, we think it's going to be someone else, um, mm. Sharon Graham. And that wasn't kind of covered in the, the sort of national media. And she did win that election. And it, what that showed to me is that the people, the kind of union sources who were speaking to the media were from the top of the union. And they were right, seeing yeah. something happen that was different than what people at the bottom of the union at the grassroots were seeing happen because they were in mm. two different kind of dimensions mm. almost. Um, so that, I think, illustrates that that problem. Um so I think you can still be a huge kind of powerful union and, and do things to mitigate that. I think it would require you to think differently about how you're structured and what your sort of democratic structures are. Um, and actually in the, the book, I ended up writing a whole chapter about that, which I hadn't intended to, because everyone I spoke to sort of said, if I could change something about the union movement or if I could click my fingers to make something better, it would be yeah. democratic structures. It would be to give mm -hmm. the grassroots more of a voice and more access to the kind of decision-making bit of the the union machine you can make the argument that in in recent decades that unions have lost some of the pr battles um but it does seem in terms of you know some of the polling that's been done before and after um real union boss mick lynch's sort of round of media appearances he did over like the last month or so that his sort of style and um ability to sort of sensibly put across the, and like re reasonably put across the his uh, the members views and also like the reasons behind the strike have been quite successful and that's something that i can't really remember th seeing in recent years i mean I, I suppose people like former rmt boss bob crow mm. uh, had like a really significant media presence but i think was very like polarizing and was like a lot of the mainstream media are still considered to be some sort of firebrand radical that uh, so most of the major names of union like union leaders and union general sections you hear about are mostly heard in like the context of like labor election labor like internal elections and yeah. that sort of thing rather than their actual work on day-to-day -day basis and i think i wondered what your perspective was on how he'd performed and how what an impact that seemed to have had on public perception of the rail strike in general yeah, I mean, I think he did really well. Um, he was, you know, every kind of channel you turned on or every newspaper you opened, he was in there kind of making his case um, and putting it across very clearly. And then some of the, the case, some of the arguments he was making were quite complex and probably like mm. a lot of kind of normal members of the public hadn't necessarily thought about them before. He was making the case that, the you know, it's in the government's interest to um, kind of bolster the private sector and therefore they want to undercut kind of public sector workers. Mm -hmm. Um, that's quite a, a kind of complicated, nuanced argument that a lot of people wouldn't really have thought about before. But I think he put it across very clearly. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think he did really well. I suppose what I would say is that, you know, as someone who kind of reports on trade unions and industrial action, um, I speak to 10 people who can communicate as well as Mick Lynch every time I go to a picket line, yeah. you know. So there are lots of people out there who can make those points and have those conversations and be very effective communicators. They're not really given access usually to those kind of media platforms. You know, they're not invited onto Good Morning Britain or This Morning or whatever it might mm. be. Um, so we don't hear their voices. And I think, you know, it points to this wider issue, actually, of working class representation in media in general, even beyond kind of unions and work. Um, mm. In that as soon as people hear this kind of ordinary working class man speaking quite articulately and um, persuasively, um, they're kind of, you know, he goes viral immediately. And <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. um, you know, there are plenty of people that would also have the same impact if they were given access to those spaces, too. 
so that was our chat with Eve. Uh, the book is Make Bosses Pay, Why We Need Unions. And yeah, mm. it's a really great chat and, and great book as well. Worth worth a read in this moment, especially uh, in the UK. Now, we're going to go from something that was very informative and interesting to something that's even more informative and interesting. Wow. <laughs> well, I have, I have something for you, Ali. I figured that given this is my last recording of the podcast... You know, one of the things we figured out early on did not work was doing a quiz every episode. <laughs> Is that because I was too bad at it? But you were too bad at it. I drew, I made quizzes that were three hours long. <laughs> and so I figured that given that I'm leaving uh, yeah. in a couple of weeks, it's mm. um, I don't have I don't have to please anyone anymore. You know, I don't what what are going to do? Fire me? Like you know, I'm, I'm yeah, already that's true, I'm actually. already quit. So so I have one quiz. One last quiz uh, right. before I go. I hope it's relevant to this podcast aims. And uh, okay, well, <laughs> that's a nice hope. Um, it is, of course, on the theme of misinformation, Ooh. but also on the theme of this podcast in the ferret. It's basically to test your knowledge about everything that you surely should be completely aware of. And if you're not, maybe you shouldn't even have this job anymore. Um, I figured I, I have a wager that I want to make for this quiz. Mm-hmm. If you get four questions wrong, yeah, I get to write a tweet from your Twitter account. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right, yeah. Cool. Um, what, what if I get more than five questions? Is there any positive for me in this? Then nothing happens. Isn't that the best thing of all? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the status quo continues. Uh, okay, question number one. Mm-hmm. Which news platform scores the veracity of statements of claims that they fact check in Pinocchio's? Uh, the Washington Post. That's correct. Yes. Wow. Okay. So shout good start. Shout out to Washington Post. Yeah, shout out to Washington Post. Um, when did Donald Trump, and I want a month and a year for this, when did Donald Trump first tweet the words fake news? I don't know. February 2015. Oh, December 2016. Okay, right. Uh, that's, that's interesting. That's for later than I thought. Okay, now this is... So those were a couple of like the world of misinformation and uh, okay, things, yeah. okay? Now we're going in specifically about the ferret. You're one of the oldest staff members in the ferret, so you uh, should know yeah. a lot about it, um, oh, God. including... Uh, if I go back on the archives of the Ferret website uh-huh. to the very, you know, we have the kind of all stories button in the Ferret. Uh-huh. If I go back to the very first page of that, mm-hmm. what is, you don't have to give me the exact headline, but you got, you got to give me the topic of the very first headline and the year. Um, I think the year was 2015. Okay. And I think the topic was fracking. Oh, unfortunately, both of those are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, really? The, the the headline was revealed, the government's plan to play down Fukushima. Okay. That's the first ever, that was the first thing. On if the you show. scroll back to that, I think, now, I do I think this the, is I, some kind of glitch because the yeah. year that that's attributed to is 2011. <laughs> Right, I mean that's definitely not right. <laughs> What's the one after that? Uh, 
Oh, I don't know. It's not fracking, though. It's still not it fracking. definitely wasn't 2011. I'm pretty sure the fair started. The fair didn't exist in 2011, no, yeah. But... Unless someone's hacked the site. and. But as someone who works here, you should be going back to that first page <laughs> regularly. This is already, already <laughs> massively flawed. Now, when did you first tweet the words ferret fact service? Oh. I just, I want... Uh, a month and a year. A month and a year, okay. Because uh, <laughs> you know the year that you started it, so that's easy, yeah. right? Uh, I think it's April 2017. Yes! Good job. Woo! Um, we started just after April Fool's Day, I think. Now, we have three questions left. You need to get two right here in order oh, for gosh. me to not hijack your Twitter. Yeah. Now, this is a uh, this is a little detour, given we're talking about your Twitter. Okay. When did you tweet this sentence? (laughs) (laughs) I usually abhor physical exertion of all kinds. (laughs) Sounds like me. (laughs) I need a month and a year. I'll tell you what. If you give me a year, that'll be enough. I'm assuming. I'm. I'm assuming that's something to do with running. Twenty eighteen. Yes, well done. Good job. September 2018. Thank God. Okay, now, two questions Yeah. related to the podcast, the final two questions. You need to get one of them right. Mm-hmm. We did an episode with the folks on the Doomsday Clock. Yeah. How many minutes are we away from midnight, according to this year's Doomsday Clock? I want to say seven. Seven minutes? Yeah. We are 100 seconds away, oh. unfortunately. I was going to say two, but then I thought, is, is that just an Iron Maiden song? Okay, so final question. This is it. This is a decider. Some of these questions <laughs> have been very difficult. Unfair, maybe, some would say. How many episodes of oh. this podcast has Sam appeared in? <laughs> and of course we're good friends so you should know that um yeah because they yeah. all had an impact on you so oh, i mean come on that is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> um when did you join are you allowed to just help me out with the answers <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what i joined the ferret in june 2021 okay uh, um i might as well just get a guess here right so there's been there's one every two weeks just about uh-huh. You've probably missed, so that's so that's almost a year. So that'll yeah. be 26. You've missed a couple, uh-huh. probably, so 24. And there's probably been a couple of weeks that we've extended because of other investigations. Mm. So I'm going to say 21. On the dot. Yes. 21. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> That is exactly uh, 21. That was like the most randomized yeah. map ever <laughs> as well. Well, there you go. So after all that fun and uh, informative stuff from Eve, not from us, uh, in, in this podcast, it is time for us to wrap up. And uh, unfortunately, this is the final official outro we'll be doing as a podcast team. Um, there are many, obviously, emotional reasons why this is very difficult. And obviously, <laughs> I'll have to redo the photo for the podcast as well. Yeah. That would be annoying. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, uh, but yeah. 
life goes on. It's what um, we say about the people we love when we lose them. You know, it's uh, it's a logistical nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But it, it can be both logistically nightmarish and emotionally nightmarish. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're the you're the sec the, the second co-host I've seen off on this podcast. I know. Yeah. Who will yeah. be next? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thanks a lot for coming in and improving the podcast, giving it a level of structure which it never could possibly have had without you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously you'll still be around and about, so I'll see you, but it's uh, the end of an era. Indeed. We've done 21 podcasts, 21 podcasts together, I'm aware. Wow. I think if there's if there's one thing that I can say to the listener from the very bottom of my heart mm. is that you can find all the links to our social media <laughs> on social.thefair.scot, <laughs> or you can find emails, and you can even become a member of The Fair for £5 a month, uh, or you can go to checkmyfact.paperform.co, to submit your own fact check and fact check claim that, that you want us to look at. Uh, and it may appear on a future podcast without me. Oh, I, w- I wasn't ready for a, such a heartfelt <laughs> elegy to the I'm podcast. So, it was Thank hard, you. but I, I got it out. I got yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.